Welcome to an inspiring message from Pastor John Cameron, lead pastor of Arise Church in New Zealand. We know this message will encourage, inspire, and empower you. All right, if you've got a Bible, we're going to dive straight into this this evening. Romans chapter 1 and verse 18 is our text for the night. We're bringing to close a series this evening that honestly, it feels like we could just keep going on and on about it. Uh, the series is entitled Thoughtpocalypse. Romans chapter 1 and verse 18 is where we're going to dive in. And it says, The Word of God is being revealed, from, the wrath of God, sorry, <laughs> is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness, since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood from what has been made so that men are without excuse. Here's our key scripture. For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God, the wonder of the immortal God, the, the, the splendor of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over and the simple desires of their hearts to sexual impurity, the tremendous fill of void for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and they worshiped and they served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised, amen. Verse 21 is our key scripture, and it says, For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him. But their thinking became futile. Their thinking became futile. We've been talking about this passage over the last, past, uh, last four weeks in our church and the evening services, talking about the fact that although these guys knew God, they knew of God, they knew about God, they had, a, they had a problem in their life. They made a mistake. They neither, they neither glorified Him as God, nor did they give thanks to Him. And then the Bible says that as a result of that, something very harmful began to happen to them. Their thinking, which God gave them. Did you know God gave you your mind? God gave us minds capable of the most amazing things. Every artist who's ever written a song or painted a painting, any, any scientist that's ever cured a disease or come up with an invention that's aided the course of humanity, any, any, any engineer who's ever built a building or created a bridge, anybody who's ever been able to witness in their life in any kind of way what it is to have a thought that leads you in a brilliant direction that helped you and helped somebody else, can understand that our God gave us minds and that those minds were designed by God with brilliance, brilliance on the inside of them. You have created potential. You have resilience in your mind. You can tell your body to keep going when it feels like quitting. That's the power of your mind. You have, you have the ability to resolve issues, to invent things, to change. But the Bible says that because of something wrong in their connection with God, in our connection with God, that their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Futile thoughts and darkened hearts. 
if our generation can empathize with anything, I think we can get with thoughts that are going nowhere and emotions that are not in a positive direction. We could actually say, I think, with a lot of validity, that the greatest challenges of our generation are challenges of the mind. Anybody with me on that one? Anxiety, fear, melancholy, despair. We find ourselves as a generation getting futile and dark. And what unites us in, as we're hearing this talk this evening is that what is common amongst every single one of us is that we are all thinking. <laughs> From the moment you woke up to the moment you go to sleep, you're thinking. Even when girls, the, you know, your, your fella, you turn to him and say, what are you thinking about? And he says to you, nothing. He just doesn't want to tell you what he's thinking about. We're all thinking. You can't stop thinking. We're going to do it all the time. And sometimes those thoughts are awesome. We're thinking about thoughts that are wonderful, dreams and ideas and memories of great holidays and accomplishments. But all too often, our thoughts are futile. They're, they're empty. They're vain. They are foolish. We're thinking about things, but it's not taking us in a life-giving direction. Quite the opposite. We're thinking about things, and in our minds, we're like, I'm never going to make it through this problem. They don't really love me. I'll never be as good as them. That person's got more than me. Oh my gosh, this mistake is going to derail my dreams. I'm never over going to overcome it. I'll never bounce back from this temporary defeat. It is so easy to find ourselves in our lives falling victim to the thoughtpocalypse. The thoughtpocalypse. The word apocalypse is two words. It means apo, to see, eclipse, which means collapse. It means to see the end. And in our lives, in our thoughts, so many times in our lives, our minds are not filled with God's got a dream, God's got a plan, quite the opposite. We're thinking this is the end, my friend. I'll never bounce back, I'll never overcome. And this series is not designed for us to feel bad if we've fallen victim to the thought apocalypse, quite the opposite. This series is about exposing it, revealing that there is a thought apocalypse. Because from the moment you created words in your mouth, someone helped you with what you said. But it doesn't matter how long you've been alive, you might never have anybody helping you with what you think. And at the end of the day, what I say to somebody else might hurt them a little bit, but what I say to myself, well, that could ruin my life. So we need to make sure that we're dealing with this thing called the thought apocalypse. We've, we've recognized in our series already that God does not want our minds and hearts to fall victim to futile thinking. In fact, in 2 Corinthians 10 verse 5, the Bible says that we should take captive every thought and we should make it obedient to Christ. My wife Jillian put it like this. She said, our thoughts are like errant children skittering off in every direction. And if, you've, if you're not a parent, you have no idea yet what I'm talking about. But when those car doors open and everybody goes beef a boogie in 14 different directions and cars are whizzing by, it's the worst moment. And our thoughts can be like that, going everywhere. And God wants us to grab those thoughts. I'll be honest, as parents, sometimes you just grab your kid by the back of their shirt, right? You got, you, you got to do what you, don't judge a parent until you are one, okay? I've grabbed my kids by the hoodie. I've pulled them back. Whatever it takes to make it and stop them from dying, you'll do it. And sometimes we've got to take our thoughts, we've got to wrestle them, and we've got to make them obedient to Christ. 
Jesus Christ. Our thoughts, this is the same Jesus, by the way, who said, I have come that you may have life. That's God's will for our thought life, that it's full of life, that you don't get alone and just wallow in melancholy. That's not God's will. I'm not saying it's not a struggle, it is. But I am saying that it's not God's desire for us. God's desire is that we would know life. In fact, Jeremiah 29, 11 makes it abundantly clear what God's thinking about when He's thinking about us. I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord. It should be up on the screen. Wow, somebody help me. Two weeks in a row, Jesus deliver us. I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of evil. I don't know about you, but I reckon our nation needs to know that this week. God's got thoughts of peace and not of evil. We spontaneously began to sing that song and worship over our service tonight, and I reckon it was God breathing on us. Peace be still, peace be still. To every anxious soul, to every, every person grieving, to all those who are suffering tonight, let the peace of Jesus reign in our nation and not evil. Somebody shout amen in Jesus' name. Thoughts to give you a future and a hope. That's what God's thinking about. And God wants the thoughts He thinks to be the thoughts that we think. So how do we defeat this thing called the thought apocalypse? Well, we fall victim to it when we lose God in our thoughts. If you weren't here for my part one, make sure you do it. Go onto YouTube and check it out from two weeks ago. And uh, hopefully it'll help you. But we, we fall victim to the thought apocalypse when we stop thinking about God. We just stop thinking about God. That's the first way that we fall victim to the thought apocalypse. But tonight, having already given you one big rock, I wanna give you another four. Four ways that you and I can defeat this thought apocalypse thing that is afflicting our generation. They're not exhaustive, there are others. But I do believe that these four keys that are just explicit and everywhere in the Word of God can help us tonight. Maybe one will help you or maybe all four will. I know, I know the person next to you needs all four, maybe you do too. The first one begins in verse 21, our key scripture where it says, they neither glorified Him as God. They did not glorify Him as God. Where did the thought apocalypse begin? With a failure to glorify God. And our antidote to the thought apocalypse is to choose firstly, worship. Worship, to choose that in our lives, we are going to exalt God. We're gonna lift up the name that is above all names. We're gonna elevate God to His rightful place. Jesus, I exalt You. Jesus, I give You glory. My God, I acknowledge You. You are good and You do good. In every situation of my life, You are Lord, You are King, You are God. Not, not waiting for my situation to lead me to that point, but choosing in every moment of every day to glorify God. Friday a week ago, I was at the gym and I hurt my back, and not just a little bit, I hurt it bad, like really bad. I went home, I went to bed, I got out of bed, I went to get a haircut, and while I was at the haircut, um, literally that was the same moment as the terror attack was happening in Christchurch, I came out. And from that moment until, uh, you know, basically until Monday, I had no choice. Just, just take some pills and keep going. So I did, and I did back stretches in between each preach of the day. 
flew around and, you know, helped everybody, just, just trying to be the best I can. And then on Monday morning, I flew home. I got home. I went to bed. I got up on Tuesday. I thought, man, I need to go to the office. I got to write my sermon. So on Tuesday this week, I, I drove to the office, started trying to write this message, and I'm just in so much pain, so much pain. So I went home, and I just hopped in bed, and I, you know, just tried to move around a little bit. And Wednesday, I went to the office, and I was in meetings. I was apologizing to the staff in staff meeting because I looked angry. I wasn't angry. I was just, just literally physically in pain, but made it through the day. And by the time I got towards the end of Wednesday, my thoughts were getting pretty dark. Because at this stage, I'm thinking, man, you know when you've got pain in your ankle, it's just contained, you know what I'm saying? Like, you've got pain in your thumb. It's in your, but when it's in your back, it's in your life. Does anyone know? Like, it's, it's everywhere. It's just, this is, this is me now. And, and I'm just in this huge amount of pain. And, and so I went home, and I, 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 was, I was very discouraged. And I went to bed on Wednesday night, and I woke up on Thursday morning, and when I woke up, I just thought, you know what, this is, this is not going to work. I can't, I can't live in this place. So I got up the next morning, and I went downstairs Thursday morning, and the first thing I did was I, I grabbed my, my daughter's music box thing. I don't know what the cool word is to say that anymore, but we used to call it a CD player when I was a kid. But anyway, I grabbed a little thing that Bluetooth to my phone, and I, I put on some worship songs, and I began to walk up and down our, our house and just just singing the worship songs and praying and declaring the goodness of God. And as I was doing it, it was like something began to rise on the inside of me. I was still in pain, but I just began to declare, you know what, I'm gonna get through this. The day before I've been like, how long is this gonna last? And is this pain gonna be here for weeks? I can't afford that, I got a lot going on. My creativity's gone. I gotta write a book before Rise Conference and I'm, I'm getting down. The next day I'm like, you know what? I'm gonna overcome this. I, I just be, began to saturate myself in worship. I played worship music the whole way to the office. I got to the office and people were like, hey, John, how, how's your back going? I said, it's, it's going to get better in Jesus' name. I'm, I'm bad, but I'm, good. I'm better than I was yesterday and tomorrow will be better than I am today and something's gonna happen. And that's why I love worship. Because worship, worship's not for God. Did you know that? Hello, I need, just need to make you aware of that. If you're new to this Christian thing, you're like, oh, God needs my worship. It changes nada about Him. He's not up there in heaven going, oh, I hope people worship me today. I'm feeling insecure. God's not feeling like that. <laughs> worship changes nothing for God, but you know what? It can change everything for me. Because when I begin to worship, something begins to lift. That's why I worship in private. I love it. I love worship when we get together in church together on a Sunday. It's awesome in our Sunday gatherings. And this is why. Because no one's ever sung a song of worship. No one's ever opened their heart in worship without problems diminishing and hope growing. It's just a guarantee, isn't it? The more that I worship, the clearer God's promise becomes. The more that I worship, the more confident that I am in the face of adversity. The more that I worship, the more my thoughts become full with the thoughts of God. That's why I said this the last, my first half, that that's why worship is the ultimate utilization of the mind. You will never know the true brilliance that's in your mind until you turn your thoughts to worship. It is only with worship that our minds work the way that they were designed by God to work. So man, if you want more creative genius, worship more. You want more optimism, worship more. 
Do you want more confidence in the face of some huge obstacle in your life? Worship more. Worship is not weakness. Worship is strength. Oh, man. Okay, number two, our second one, guys, is thanksgiving. The Bible says that although they knew God, they neither firstly glorified Him as God, worship, nor did they give thanks to Him. They didn't give thanks to Him. There was an absence of thankfulness towards God in their lives. And man, one of the greatest keys for us to learn and to practice and retain in our lives is thanksgiving. The Bible literally says that we should, in 1 Thessalonians 5.18, give thanks in all circumstances. In all circumstances. For this is God's will for you, me, in Christ Jesus. Wow. In my best moments, I'm supposed to say, I thank you, Jesus. In my worst moments, I thank you, Jesus. In our good moments, that's easy to grasp, isn't it? Life is good, give glory to God. But the Bible literally says, as quickly as that reaction is healthy for me, in my worst moments, I should bring God into that moment. Why? Because God wants me to honor Him that there's rubbish in my life? No. Because God's will is that even when all hell is breaking loose around me, when there's turmoil on the inside of me, God wants me to consciously pause, thank Him, and through the power of thanksgiving, I can change my perspective. Thanksgiving is an invitation by God to realign our perspective on what we're facing in life. Oh man, I learned this because in the early days of um, my time here in Wellington, Julie and I bought a home and we were so thankful for it. And then we discovered that it was one of those leaky homes. And honestly, it was like the worst thing that had ever happened to me in my life up until that moment. I shook uncontrollably for two long weeks. Couldn't sleep. I was surviving on a couple of hours of sleep a night. Just like my whole gut was just churning. I was so stressed. I remember praying prayers like, God, why has this happened to me? And where are you? And what's going on? And in the middle of all that, I remember after a couple of weeks, I was just unable to sleep. So I was praying in my lounge. And as I was praying in my lounge one night, something began to happen to me as I began to think about my life and the storm that I was facing and the way that I was feeling, I began to realize that in spite of everything that was going wrong, I had a wife that, was, that loved me. No matter what was going wrong in my finances because of this condition, I had a daughter who was incredible. My wife at the time was pregnant with my son who I'd literally prayed for only a year ago on an altar call that God would give me a son and now she was pregnant with him. I began to think about all the amazing people, several hundred at the time, who were part of our Arise Church. I began to think about every person that had already found Jesus in the journey of our church. And I realized that no matter what happened to my house, my job, my reputation, my finances, none of the people in my life could be taken from me. It was like it just helped me to see that nothing that was really of any eternal value was gonna be changed by the trial that I was going through. And you know what, guys? In our lives, if we're not careful, we let little things become really big. 
And the power of thanksgiving is that when we take our eyes off the hurt and the pain and the difficulty and the tragedy, and we begin to focus, look to your God. Oh, I thank you. You're real. I'm breathing. I thank you for that. Somebody loves me in my life. Are you joking? Praise you, Jesus. I ate food today. People in the world didn't. I thank you, Jesus. I thank you, Lord, that I can think, that I can breathe, I can see color. I mean, man, it doesn't matter who you are or how desperate your situation, there are a thousand things that we have reason to be thankful for. And you know what, guys? Nothing you will take into eternity can ever be taken from you in a trial. Do you want me to say that again? Nothing you will take into eternity can ever be taken from you in a trial. Let me tell you something about your reputation, your social media kudos or whatever it is you covet so deeply. Feel so bad when you don't have it. You're gonna take every crown on your head when you get to heaven, you're gonna throw it down at the feet of Jesus. And you're gonna say, everything I have is just nothing and compared to the splendor of who you are. You know what I think our generation needs to remember? The gospel. Because the more entitled you are as a person, the more stressed out you're likely to be. The more you feel deserving of, the more likely you are to become very filled with like these terrible emotions when the deservedness or the entitlement that you feel isn't becoming real in your life. And that's why the gospel is so powerful because it confronts me, it confronts us with the fact that we chose to sin. We chose to sin and because of it, we are all selfish. And because of our greed and our pride, our arrogance and our rebellion, we are all deserving of hell. Yet despite of that, despite of how we treated God, despite of how we treated other people in our lives, in our world, most people have a standard for good that goes something like this. I'm good because I do what is good for me. But God isn't interested in your good. He's interested in your moral perfection. Because if we let people into heaven who are good and did good 80% of the time, then heaven would just be earth 2.0. There'd still be people getting ripped off financially, still be people backstabbing one another, still be people committing adultery and walking out on committed relationships, still be a lot of exploitation and greed. Why? Because good don't cut it. We need something better. We need Jesus. We don't need good to reign. We need heaven to come. We need salvation, man, from ourselves. And we need salvation from the fact that our eternal destiny is without Jesus, hell. That's what our sins deserve. Yet in spite of all that, a loving Savior died in my place. Before I ever chose to reach out to Him, He made a way. And even if I never chose to reach out to Him, He still would have done it. So that if I ever chose to, there was a way, a possibility that I could get back to Him. Oh man, sometimes if we're not careful, we're looking at our lives and what we feel we're deserving of and what we're entitled to. But when we realize that Jesus was entitled to a throne in heaven and a perfect life, yet He gave it all for me. How many people know that with that, something gets awakened on the inside of my life, man? Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving. 
The third one, the third one, are you enjoying this tonight? The third thing that we can do to help us overcome the thoughtpocalypse, we can worship, we can be increasingly thankful. Practice thanksgiving. Get up tomorrow and start making a list. Everything in your life that you can be thankful for. Just grow it every day this week. You'll be blown away by how many good things you have in your life. Number three, the third thing is the Word of God. The third way we can overcome this thoughtpocalypse thing is through the Word of God. Now, Pastor Ben was preaching this morning and he talked about being a committed cyclist and I was for a lengthy season. I'm a backslidden cyclist at the moment. But I remember the first time I ever rode around Lake Taupo. It's a 160 kilometer bike race, probably the largest bike race in New Zealand. And I remember the first time I rode around it, I was a newbie. And I started off and I was so pumped, wanted to get a great time. I had some food in my pocket, had some water bottles. I drank a bit, I ate a bit, but I wasn't that experienced about cycling and I wasn't that hungry because I wasn't that hungry I didn't really eat that much. So then I wasn't really that thirsty, so I didn't really drink that much. What I didn't realize is that for me, this particular day was gonna take me five hours to complete this task. Five hours in the saddle, and about three or four hours into this five hour journey, my thoughts started going places <laughs> that were very dark. They were futile. My foolish heart was darkened. I was going to very, very bad places. I'm a failure, why did I do this? This is absolutely horrible. What motivated me to get on this bicycle? Can I get a car to take me the rest of the journey? I honestly, my thoughts were in such a bad place and probably the biggest reason was that I didn't eat enough. I didn't get enough nutrition for the output that the exercise was demanding of me. And the Bible talks about the Word of God and it says that it is not just a book. The Bible is the Word of God. The Bible is more than just any other piece of literature in the world. God breathed upon authors and caused them to write these words, this, this incredible 66 books, 1187 chapters, 31,102 verses, and every single one of them inspired by the breath of the Almighty God so that it could do more than food could ever do to my body. It can feed my spirit. Jesus said it like this in Matthew 4.4. He said, people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And just like my thoughts ended up dark because I wasn't eating enough for my body, your spirit ends up dark when you're not eating enough of God's Word to sustain you in the journey and in the fight of life. Man, about two years ago, I just became aware of this at a whole nother level. I mean, every stage our church goes through, it's like new levels, new devils, they say. And, and I just found myself in this place where my thoughts were going for a small period of time in just stupid directions. And my faith was diminishing. My confidence wasn't resolute. I've never doubted what God's gonna do in the future of our church, but I just went through a little time where for a season that wasn't true. I was just wavering just a little bit. And I was like, John, what's going on with you? What's wrong with you? And then I began to look at my habits, my lifestyle, and I began to realize that I just wasn't getting enough of this book. 
So I changed my lifestyle. It's where I came up with a famous quote talking about flight mode. And by the way, it'll still change your life. In fact, can I just, I'm, I'm, I'm running out of time, but I gotta say it anyway. You wanna change your thoughts, do this. An hour before you think about heading to bed, turn on your phone on flight mode. Turn Wi-Fi off in your house if you possibly can. For the next hour, only read things, only listen to things that are gonna feed your spirit. Listen to worship, read this book. When you wake up in the morning, don't turn off, turn your phone off flight mode. Don't check Facebook, Instagram, that's just plain dumb. Don't even read your news feeds until the Word of God has been your diet and your nutrition. I'm here to tell you, if you'll do that, man, you will change your life. I began to just read this book, devour this book, just get more of it in my life. And you know what started to happen? That faith started to rise. That confidence that I've always known came rushing back. I remember one day, I don't know if the staff remember, but in our staff telegram chat, I sent out a little thing going, guys, listen, if you're struggling in your life, read more of the Word of God. And it was just literally an overflow of what God was doing in me. The Word of God is maybe the greatest weapon God's given you to get your mind in control. Hebrews 4.12, the Bible says that the Word of God, this book, is living and it's active. It's alive. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It's gonna judge the thoughts. Judge my thoughts, futile thoughts, hearts darkened. Well, this thing is gonna judge my thoughts and the attitudes of my heart. Man, when you start pouring this into your life, something begins to happen. You come to this book and suddenly every thought that comes into your mind is getting judged by it. I remember just recently, I'm reading the, been reading the book of Isaiah and I was reading about some stuff in there and in the middle of it, something just exploded on the inside of me as I began to just hear that word from God that we should expand the borders of our tent, we should stretch our tent curtains wide, not let fear get involved in our decision making, not let the, the, shame, the threat that other people will say bad things about you get involved in your decision making. But just like God was just saying to me, be bold and be courageous. That's just last week's devotions. I'm telling you, if you get this book and make it your diet, you're gonna free your life from a heap of the thought apocalypse coming our way. Come on, man. Oh man, I wish I could go into that so, so much more. But we need to be people that are just devouring the Word of God. Number four, I gotta bring this to a close. We need to start thinking about intentional thoughts. Intentional thoughts. Do you know what sucks the most about being 45? I can't eat as much as I used to eat. I promise you, 10 years ago I ate way more and it stayed off me. Now I look at food and the scales go up. The problem is that in my mind, I still think that I'm 25, this is the truth. I look at someone 25, I'm competing with Cullen Murray in a CrossFit class and I'm like, I can take you. No, you can't. It's self-deception. He is gonna get me 10 times out of 10. But in my mind, I'm still 25, so I eat like I'm 25. I've lost 100 kilograms, did you know that? It's true. I've lost the same five kilograms 20 times over.
It's not about you right now, it's about me. So right now I'm using, I'm, I'm using this app. I'm using an app. So I don't know, this is what I'm doing. And I'm logging everything that I eat. Because in my mind, I only eat like 2,000 calories a day. And then I start registering it. And it gets like to three and a half thousand. Do you know what I'm saying? I'm like, that can't be right. It is right. But just looking at it, being intentional about it. The problem with our thoughts is that we just let them go through our head. And it doesn't matter how old or how young you are, there's no age in your spirit. And if you're not thinking intentionally, at 45, I have to eat intentionally. But all of us, we've got to think intentionally. We've got to be careful because if we're not careful, we are like impulsive eaters. And we're chowing, chowing down on a whole lot of toxic thoughts every day. Ephesians 4, 6 to 8, it's one of the greatest verses for anybody out there who's struggling with any of this apocalypse stuff. Great way to close this series. Do not be anxious about anything. Okay, so that's God's desire for us. But in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, here it is again, present your requests to God and the peace of God that transcends our understanding. God offers us a peace that we can't even figure out. A peace in lieu of everything working out okay. Before the miracle even happens, I can feel a sense of peace. Will guard your heart, guard your mind in Christ Jesus. Often quoted, here's the next verse. Finally, in other words, let, let's not just do the emergency bit. A lot of people like to just kind of have the, okay, lipo me, get all the fat off my body. That's great, but you just don't want to live there. You gotta move on. So then this is what the Bible says, finally, brothers, Whatever is true, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. God's there. He's going to help us with our anxieties. He is going to give us peace in lieu of our comprehension. But then He says, now I want you to stop just letting your mind go in 47 different random directions. I want you to search out good things noble things, praiseworthy things, excellent things, admirable things. And I want you to think about things like that. Because if you'll do that, you'll change your life. And guys, let's get a little bit more intentional with our thinking. Let's choose not to let our thoughts go in a thousand different directions, but to make a new resolute decision. I'm gonna leave you with this. Um, this is my Bible from when I became a youth pastor at the age of 23. I took over a youth group at the age of 23 that technically had 150 kids in it, but the whole youth group had left the youth group. They didn't leave the church, they just didn't want to be under the youth pastor. So I had five teenage kids. I didn't know how to be a youth pastor. There was no training program. It wasn't like a rise where we give you a mentor and someone has already done it. It was just like, it's your job, we're paying you to get results. So I was so afraid, I was so fearful. And New Year's Eve of that night, I prayed the whole night. And about three o'clock in the morning, in my journal, is what I wrote. I believe that God has called me 
His hand of blessing is on my life. And I will continue to walk in the fullness of what He has for me. God has called me to be a leader, to break down the bigger picture, to train others, to release others. He has called me to break through and has empowered me to meet every obstacle with the confidence that He will bring me through. I must rid myself of the mediocre and mundane and rise to excellence. Details can never trap me. Past inadequacies will never limit my tomorrows. Each day is a day of growth with renewed faith and opportunities. And I just put it right there on my Bible. And every day I got up and rather than letting my mind go to John, you've still got 15 kids and it's August, I read that. Rather than allowing a moment in my mind where I felt like a failure, I read that. And then I opened this. And I want you to know if you'll stop letting thoughts go randomly through your mind, start getting intentional. The Bible says you're more than a conqueror through Him who loves you. That God loves you. That God's got a plan for your life. You're not a reject, you're accepted. You're not worthless, you're priceless. You're not of little value, you're of infinite value. God made you as the pinnacle of all creation. There is a unique purpose for your life. There is a God who loved you, people who loved you, a pathway in mind for you, brilliance on the inside of you. You can do all things through Christ who gives you strength. And if you believe that about yourself, lift your voice and give your God some praise right now. A good God, and He made you. If you would like to find out more about Arise Church and Pastor John Cameron, visit arisechurch.com or connect with us on Instagram at Arise Church and at John Cameron NZ.